The opinions expressed on this program are those. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the host or guest and should not be interpreted as statement of fact. Independent fact checking and corrections are encouraged. Go get a cup of coffee in here, please. Never stop, man. Every day, there's another problem. It's unbelievable. It's just unbelievable. Damn good coffee and hot. Yeah, we'll see about that. Wake up, America. You've got a dog that needs walking. That's right, sunshine. Just put on a big pot of strong coffee. And get ready to type your little hate mail with your opinions about Kumbaya and Flat Earth Insanity. Stand-up comedy? You want stand-up comedy? Well, we got, well, we've got sit-down comedy. It's time for Coffee with the Dog. You make me laugh. Hopefully. Good morning, people of this planet, sir. Um, I am actually the guy who named the planet Earth, so I'm thinking about changing the name. Um, I really don't have any good suggestions at this point. But, I don't know, it seems like a really doping name for a planet, if you ask me. Anyway, it is May. Yes? May I? May I? May I? May 1st. Good morning. It is Monday, your favorite day of the week. Monday, May 1st, 2023. It's great to have you here alive and well. And I hope you had a great weekend. Been a crazy weekend for me. I'm still recovering. A couple of things. I got a notice from Facebook again that my, according to them, Sony Entertainment has shut down my video because it may contain content they own. And once again, the video they are speaking of consists only of me speaking into a microphone. For some reason, Sony believes that they own me speaking into a microphone. Bizarre. So when I try to find the actual video they're uh, complaining about now, they, it's not listed. But generally, uh, we've gone down this route oh many, 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 many times, and um, always comes out the same. Um, it's basically me. Oh, I'll do this later. Come on, later. Get out of my face. Um, it's basically me uh, talking into a microphone that they're complaining about. Anyway, uh, we'll get to the bottom of that later. I'm trying looking at it, and they want me to take action on it right now. Like, it's urgent. Like, you care about that. Like, I care about that. We don't care about that. Do we care about that? I do not have a guest for you today. As a matter of fact, it's a very light week due to some scheduling changes. Um, I have... 
Tuesday and Wednesday open now. Killer Keeley will be with us on Thursday, and Stephen Marcus uh, Relaford will be with us on Friday. I have an evening show on Wednesday, but the rest of this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Monday is today, right? Uh, it's not the rest of the week. That's today, uh, but there's no guest. Um, but that doesn't mean there won't be. It means they're not booked as of now. Um, have some big news with guest bookings. Uh, I don't think I'm ready to share. You, you can probably guess. Not like a big mystery, but I don't have the date nailed down yet. I've got a bunch of dates uh, that we're selecting from. But um, as soon as I know, uh, the Robert Klein appearance on mind dog uh tv podcast or coffee with the dog will be put out there I ho i'm hoping he will show up for the morning show because it's more fun talking to comedians in the morning because they're you know whatever and um i'll just say this about robert klein i often talk about him in terms of his comedy contribution as belonging on my personal Mount Rushmore of comedy. Um, but it occurs to me that he's also one of my favorite singers. And I think that part of, you know, he's so multi-talented. He's a Broadway guy, television guy, film guy, on top of stand-up comedy and singing and all that kind of stuff. But I think his singing gets overlooked because he's a unbelievable unbelievably good singer uh, and a lot of range. And when I say range for him, I, I'm not talking about note range from low to high, although he's pretty good on that. It does have a much higher and powerful falsetto than, than you would expect, but that's not what I'm talking about with range. Range in versatility of styles and perform. He can go from doing like a 50s doo-wop thing to a really blues, soulful, gospel-type sound. Uh, so there's that. I don't know if he considers himself, first and foremost, a singer or a comedian. But I am real. He's one of my real great inspirations of my life as far as um, just taking away from what he uh, presented in what were really specials at the time. Now we hear comedy specials all of all the time. I'm trying not to f bomb. Have you noticed? I'm trying not to f bomb. Uh, but we hear the word special all the time coming from comedians. In the day when Robert Klein first uh, started doing his uh, HBO um, contract, fulfilling his HBO contract, those were truly specials. There were special performances, and HBO's typical program programming was not shows. It was movies. So they would break away for a comedy special that would air generally once you'd have to, you know, prepare for it. It was before DVRs and all that kind of stuff. And you'd have to be home for it. Now, they might rerun it once in a while, but it wasn't like in steady programming. Like, it wasn't on demand like uh, Amazon or Netflix or Showtime, Showtime now. I don't know, can you get that stuff on demand, streaming on demand, probably. But it was special. 
a lot of work went into it. And um, it was more than just the guy up there doing the, what he would be doing in a comedy club. It was special. It was treated as special. It was, uh, there was an intro uh, that was scripted, generally a musical type of thing, uh, something that let you know what the show was going to be about. And then it had a theme and it was written and it had a def definitive beginning and it was a special program. We don't have that anymore. But we still use the word special. But I would be really interested to see, uh, to talk to Robert Klein about this. And we'll, we will when he gets uh, to the program eventually in the next couple of weeks. Uh, find out about uh, what came first, the singing or the comedy, and just the whole approach to um, what he does. A fascinating guy and one of my heroes. And I am really, really excited that he reached back to me and is ready to come on the program. Um, I'm done doing good deeds. The whole, first of all, Ian, if you're out there, I'm sorry to report that Frank from Allentown, Pennsylvania, has claimed the tickets with a legitimate email address. Frank will be going to see Doug Stanhope in Austin, Texas for two days of day drinking, taping a special. It's not really that special. It's just a taping a show. Um, so Frank will be uh, getting that prize. Congratulations, Frank. But I have to say, I, I'm just sick and tired of trying to do good things. Because it always, best intentions always go wrong. And so we booked a uh, flight for Frank, thinking Allentown, Pennsylvania. He would be flying out of uh, uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Not so he's going to be moving to uh, someplace in Ohio. So he's going to be flying out of Cincinnati, which changes everything, changes tickets, it costs more money. Thanks to the people at Coa Coffee, by the way, for uh, paying for this thing and making sure. Uh, it's, but it's a nightmare logistically for me and more work that I just wanted to do something nice for people. And this is, it ends up being work. Always ends up being work. Uh, but congratulations, Frank. I hope you enjoy it, and I hope we never have a dumb idea. I never have a dumb idea about giving away anything ever again. But you know I will. Speaking of, I think I pissed uh, Erica Rhodes off a little bit because um, I want to send my brother to her show in North Carolina. Friday night, again, thinking I'm doing a nice thing. My brother is 70 years old. He's got terminal lung cancer, stage four lung cancer. Uh, but he's still active and gets around. And he's got a bunch of girlfriends. The thing is, he's got a bunch of girlfriends who are married, which is kind of weird. Um, my, my mic sounds off. Hmm. Why might my mic sound off? Let me just see what my... Thank you for letting me know about that, Ian. Uh, audio. Yes, that's why my mic sounds I wonder if... Uh, checking one, two, three. Is that any better? Are we hearing any better now, Mike? And what's the output? Yeah. 
I want to allow my mic. Well, now I'm weird. Now I'm in the dark. What's going on here? Now what is going <laughs> It's one of these days. I knew it. I knew this. Oh, well, that's a little better. Whoa. Welcome back here. Man, we're having a rough start on a Monday. Lights out. Everything's out. Sounds out. Is the sound any better? Now, now the lights back out again. Try this. Oh, brother, man. It is a Monday, isn't it? One of these days. Uh, silent meditation. Uh, do we not have a mic? Is the mic not on? Um, is the mic on? Checking one, two. Looks like the mic's on. Yes. Sound is fine. Lights are off. Uh, good morning, everybody. Napo is in the house. Well, really, I don't think I'm in the house. I think I'm in the garage. And I think the lights went out and everything went out. Sound went out. And now this thing my wife got me is getting very hot under the lights. Uh, so, um, yes, I did drop some acid this morning. No, I did not. Anyway, um, good morning, folks. Well, let's start over. <laughs> so, anyway, <laughs> my brother, who is 70 years old and has terminal lung cancer, and had, was told he has six months to live eight months ago and is still doing well uh, and active. But he's 70 years old and he's got a plethora, I, I wanted, just wanted to use that word, plethora, of young lady friends. Uh, again, he's 70. They're in their 30s. I think the oldest one is 40. Uh and he goes on dates with them, but they're married. They're unhappily married, and they go on dates with him, but he's not getting any sex out of it. It's kind of like friend dates, like platonic dates. And I'm like, dude, whatever. If that makes you happy, go for it. But I think they're using them. They're just using them because they're unhappy, want to make the husband jealous, whatever. Not cool. So I wanted to send him to see Erica Rhodes because uh, she was in close to where he lives in North Carolina Friday night. So I bought him two tickets. And then all of uh, his married girlfriends um, had obligations and could not get free Friday night. So And he did not want to go by himself and couldn't find anybody to go with, and he did not want to go to a comedy club by himself. Like, I understand that, because I don't like going to comedy clubs by myself. Um, but now, so he did not go Friday night. Now, I hear it was a killer show, but I know uh, from talking to Erica, she does not like when people don't use the tickets. And here I am buying tickets that don't get used. Um, and so I think, you know, I'm I might have burned that bridge a little bit. She might be a little pissed at me. Uh, I, again, just trying to do something nice for somebody, for two people. I was trying to, you know, for, for Erica to help our show get sold out and for my brother uh, to get him a night out of uh, his uh, mindset of, uh, oh, I'm dying and laugh a little bit. Uh, and it just doesn't work out. So best of intentions gone to hell. Uh, if you're just tuning in over yesterday morning, 
uh, Robert Klein, the fabulous, the famous, the uh, one of my personal heroes, Robert Klein, uh, checked in and will be doing the podcast this month within probably this week or next week or something like that. Probably more like next week. Uh, But I'm just as thrilled as can be about that. Uh, Ian, if you're out there and you are the one who told me I believe my sound was out, you might have missed it. Um, Sorry to report. Uh, You didn't get the tickets. Frank Esoff from Allentown, Pennsylvania, has claimed the tickets. And this is where I started the rant. I'm done doing nice things or trying to do things for people. Um, Frank lives in Allentown, Pennsylvania. He claimed the tickets. We bought plane tickets out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania for him, thinking that was the nearest uh, international airport or where he's going to get a flight to uh, Austin, Texas. Frank claimed, or it turns out, when we got his proper email address, He's moving to someplace in Ohio where Cincinnati will be the airport of choice. So now we have to change the tickets, all that kind of stuff. Ends up costing money to change the ticket, all that crap, and lots of logistical work that I'm not cut out for. It turns out I'm not really cut out for anything except this. Uh, But so it became a nightmare. And so I'm never doing anything nice for anybody ever again i will but this is the mindset of i I have of today it's like every time i try to do something with good intentions it ends up backfiring me cost me more money cost me more time and energy doing things that i you know i one thing i don't want to do is spend a sunday on the phone with um, Southwest Airlines trying to change a ticket and the nightmare of that. Oh, are you Frank? No, I'm not Frank. I'm trying to change a ticket for Frank that we bought for him. Oh, you can't do that. What do you mean I can't do that? I bought it for him. Oh, we have to cancel the ticket. Just, I'm done. Okay. Saturday, (laughs) um, Two gigs, three gigs, actually, uh, but two gigs that were acoustic uh, gigs for me. And the first gig, acoustic guitar is definitely a different thing for me now. I can play electric because I'm playing leads a lot of time. Play with a band, play electrically with a band. Still, I could go six hours, no damage whatsoever. Six full. I could do a six-hour gig because no cramping up, no pain, none of that stuff. But when you're doing a, a solo acoustic gig, first of all, you're playing mostly chords, so you got all these chord shapes going on. Uh, you got a lot of this thumb involved in holding chord shapes. I know what this is like. What? Who needs this fucking? There goes my first F bomb of the day. Who needs this guitar lesson at this time of day on a Monday morning? Nobody. But I I do kind of need to explain it, uh, why I've got this major carpal tunnel thing going on. So West Hampton Beach Brewing Company, if you don't know, and you're not from America, (laughs) West Hampton, the Hamptons, 
should at least give you some idea that there's money involved. It's a money area. West Hampton Beach Brewing Company is uh, kind of upscale. Uh, no minorities. Very white people. Uh, and playing for mostly Gen Z people. I think, right, Gen Z, if you're 20, if you're in your early 20s, that's Gen Z, I believe. Or is that still millennials? I don't know. People in their early 20s. Let's just say that. And so uh, high energy room. And I got to play hard because I'm entertaining people. Trying, You know, I, I don't, I'm not happy with the, oh, that was nice. Let's sit here and listen. And that doesn't work for me. If I'm going to play, it's got to be a party. And we're going to get up and dance and sing. And and even if it's just an acoustic guitar, I'm going to work to make it a party. And so I work very hard. But then by the end of three and a half hours, my hand is starting to lock up. And I'm, it, just after that gig, I was just starting to feel my hands locking up. And I'm getting all the stuff. Got finished the thing at six o'clock. Now I'm an hour away from my next gig which starts in an hour. So basically I got to pack up and run as quickly as I can, you know, basically drive a little bit ahead of the uh, speed limit to get to my next gig, which is also an acoustic gig, but it's a duo. Mikey singing uh, for the most part, I sing lead on maybe five songs a night, but for the most part, it's Mikey. And my voice is shot now because I just sang three hours and I'm not used to singing three hours. So all the high notes like that i sing are gone completely i if i try to sing a high note at that point nothing comes out and so and my hands starting to crap cramp up crap up so i get to the gig and we do the uh, we do an hour in and they have food ready for us okay oh yeah food i could eat food sure so we take a break, and we don't normally take a break. But at that point, I tell you, my my hands already starting to cra- uh, cramp up. You could hear my voice was gone at that point, and we still got two and a half hours to play. And so you know, we, we go in the bar area and and have some dinner and stuff, and come back for the next set. And on the first song, I got uh, lock up hand like totally uh, looking like uh, you know. I hate to say it, a um, just a, like the guy that Trump was making fun of, the disabled person Trump was making fun of. My hands were just like that. And I said, well, what am I going to do? I got two and a half hours left to play. So I'm trying to play without my thumb now. Thumb's not involved. If you play guitar at all, imagine trying to play chord shapes without using your thumb at all and changing chord shapes and no pressure on it very difficult to do even if you've been playing for 60 years or like i have and so i was doing that and but there were points where it was just not working anyway and still locking up even without tr- playing without the thumb what song can you do and what song can you can't you do turned out mikey doesn't have any conscientiousness about what songs are gonna work for me so he's calling the hardest songs the ones that are gonna make the carpal tunnel just tightened up completely at one point i I, it was just embarrassing i was like i was like an old man who can't do it anymore and it was sad it was humbling and people were up and dancing and and and, listen 
um, I, I will say this. They saw the agony I was going through. I'm literally agony, suffering for my art. Pain, locked up. <laughs> and the guitar case was not full of tip money. Now, in West Hampton Beach, before I was suffering at all, that guitar case was full of money. I have to say, I was shocked. First of all, the West Hampton Beach gig paid more than I was expecting, uh, which was a nice surprise. And then the guitar case full of money made it a really, <laughs> a really nice gig. Yeah, you know, it's always good to get paid more than you expect, but then to have, you know, a guitar case full of tip money, yay! Second gig, I'm suffering from my art. I'm like Quasimodo. I'm looking, you know, I'm locked up in pain, almost in tears. <laughs> To get through the set, I think we got $5 in tips. And Mikey, you, you can have your $5. Okay. Now, that gig ends, and I got to go play bass with a young, you know, 30-something, but young for me. It's like half my age. Um, rock band. Hard rock band. But I'm going to play bass. And bass is different. At least you're not holding chord shapes and you, you, your hand gets to move a little bit. And so playing notes. But there are some of, some of these um, harder rock songs. And this was, was an original band. And some of their songs are really hard with the either slapping, thumbing, picking, so this hand starts locking up. My fingers start locking up on this hand. This hand's doing better now, and now I'm in pain here. And uh, they asked me, "Can you can you help out on the vocals anymore?" Well, I would love to, but if you got a note down here, I could sing because this is loud as I can. Uh, this is my this is my range right here. This is the highest note I'm gonna sing. And so, <clears throat> all that done. Gigs are done, three in a day. Get home, and everything is locking up on me. My back is locking up on me. My Both arms are locking up on me. My legs are locking up on me. I'm an old man. And I think I cursed myself because earlier in the day, Hack Oddity, Andy Baker, was talking about buying a hot tub. And he said, basically, it, it, it's become his whole personality now. He loves this hot tub. And I said, well, um, the the cure for that is to drink whiskey with an ugly woman in a hot tub because at that point you will have sex with that ugly woman and you will blame the hot tub for you are having sex with that ugly woman and you will never do it again until you come home beat up from a gig and need a hot tub. And this was my case uh, late Saturday night. I was in agony and needed the hot tub so i get in the hot tub just taking a bunch of edibles that i had bought that day now the edibles were a mixed bunch of edibles and perhaps uh oh the, the confession is coming forgot <clears throat> i'll tell you about the ugly woman in the hot tub i'm uh and, and listen it wasn't a crime 
maybe a little bit of adultery. But not with this wife. So, okay. Uh, but, um, maybe a little bit. <laughs> uh, where was I? Oh, yeah, in the hot tub and, and edibles. Now, here's the thing. If, you, if you've been in a hot tub, you probably know this. Alcohol, probably not. It's going to be very intensified depending on how hot the hot tub is. And my hot tub is hot. So you don't want to do alcohol in there. But edibles, it's a new thing for me, really. <laughs> and first of all, I looked at these. And when I got in the store, and first of all, I don't know if you could see this. It says $30 there. I don't know. Can you see that? It says $30 on the bottom, uh, which the guy charged me $40. I'm a little pissed about that. But it says 100 milligrams each. 100 milligrams each. Each tablet, 100 milligrams. I thought it said 10 milligrams. I ate 10 of them. That's 1,000 milligrams. Plus two peanut butter cups that were 50 milligrams. So that's 1,100 milligrams of edibles in the hot tub. And uh, if I tell you, uh, I know that God exists now. Because he came to me and he said, my dog, you look ripped, man. <laughs> I, you, did you read the label correctly? And I said, no, God. I thought it said 10 milligrams. He said, well, you better check again, dude. Um, And so uh, I almost drowned in a hot tub, of course. No, there, uh, no, I thought that too. Maybe 10, you, you didn't say maybe 10 milligrams each. No, uh, they are 100 milligrams each. <laughs> um. And yeah, uh, I thought 10 milligrams each, and I questioned him about that. No, and then right on the label it says each uh, each gummy contains 100 milligrams delta nine THC, uh, 10 milligrams of CBD each one. So there I was, uh, blitzed out of my mind uh, in the hot tub and unable to eat like even move because everything in my body was like cramping up and uh so i think i think you know time distortion and all that stuff i think i was in there for about two and a half hours and then i got out and i tried to go to bed and that was not working because uh the world was spinning uh, hallucinations and whatnot and then the cramps were still happening. Legs cramping up, back crap, cramping up, crapping up, cramping up. Wild, wild um, night. And then, so I get up Sunday morning. And my voice is like this. And my brother calls to tell me he didn't go to Sierra Rose in uh, North Carolina. What's wrong with your voice, dude? Uh, it's a long story. I don't think I can really. So that was my weekend. Now, if you want, must know. Because Kat, Cat uh, has, she listens too closely to details, I guess, sometimes. <laughs> Bill, back in the day, oh, I was 26 years old, 27 years old. 
playing in a band called Mountain Magic Band, a country band out of Clifton Forge, Virginia. I was playing bass with them and traveling around the country and blah, 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 blah. And my wife was still back in Long Island and we were considering moving back down to Virginia. Her, her parents, her mother lived down in uh, Roanoke, Virginia. We were considering moving down there. But we were kind of uh, separated, and I was on the road. I was generally, I have to say, a faithful husband. But there was one night where we played a gig in uh, somewhere in West Virginia. The name, it's, it's right on the border of West Virginia. Covington? It might be Covington. Something like that. Uh and uh, Booty Wren, <laughs> who was the leader of the band, was a guy who would drink bourbon for breakfast. I'm not kidding. Like, if you had, a, a, like, a shot glass of orange juice, you know, with your breakfast in the morning, Booty would have a fifth of bourbon. Like, I have my coffee, a fifth of bourbon the moment he got out of bed. And sit there and drink it within a half hour. A fifth of a fifth of bourbon for breakfast, and not let it affect him. But this was a gig, a road gig, and he was drinking heavily. And he was like he, uh, determined to get the Yankee drunk, and uh, got me drinking bourbon. And so I was a little bit uh, already drunk, and when I got in the hot tub. And passed me a bottle. And lo and behold, this hot tub was at this woman's house who was a big fan of the band. But she was um, obese, not pretty. In fact, ugly. She was an ugly woman. And uh, normally, being a married man, and I was still a handsome young man at the time. If I do say so myself, maybe a little bit ego-driven, but I was a handsome young man. There's no doubt about it. I wasn't always an ugly old man, to believe it or not. Um, I would not partake in a fat, ugly woman offering me sex in a hot tub. But bourbon in a hot tub, It can mess with your judgment a little bit. And so I did. I did a bad thing. I did a very bad thing. And I still feel like I need a shower uh, 40 years later. Um, it was uh, just like, I, uh, you know, one of those things where regretting it so hard, suicide was not out of the question. It was like, I can't believe I fucked that pig. Oh my God. I should cut my dick off. No, 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 no. That's that's too extreme. Why, why don't you just take some pills and go to sleep and never wake up again? That would be better. Uh, maybe make out your will before you do this. Uh, all those kind of thoughts. So that cured me of hot tubs for several years. Because I never, in those days... I did not need therapy when I came home from a gig. Anyway, um, so 
yeah so that that's a confession really i mean i guess I, that is a confession but the point i'm making is if you're finding yourself <laughs> addicted to your new hot tub go out and get a bottle of um i don't know jim beam will do i guess it doesn't have to be like real rot gut um west virginia bourbon moonshine but jim beam will do and getting yourself in a hot tub and call up the ugliest most repulsive woman you know ask her to get in the hot tub with you and i guarantee after that experience you will not want to get in your hot tub again and there you go you're cured this cure comes to you courtesy of the the mind dr mind dogs uh hot tub cure uh and uh, so that's that um anyway uh killer keely will be with us on thursday i don't have a guest scheduled tomorrow don't have a guest scheduled wednesday yet oh well as far as the robert klein uh dates i'll probably know sometime today uh when when that's going to happen or certainly um this week and we'll put that out there that i'm really excited about that now um in preparation h preparation uh for <laughs> the robert klein um interview i did go back uh and watch um man a child of the 50s man of the 80s special last night or the night before i don't know when was well, yesterday i lose track of time a couple of things that uh take away from from and i uh, I really suggest you go check this out. Um, as far as enlightening things, well, during the special, now keep in mind, Klein at, at the time he did that special, I think it was 1983, which would be 40 years ago, or he was 41. He made reference to being an old man at least four times, five times. In, in the special, called himself old and like feeling like an old man at 41. I guarantee right now he's looking at 41. That's a kid. I, you know, I was still a child then. I'm what am I doing calling myself old? 41. Now, if, if and again, if I look at my perspective from being the Mountain Magic Band at 27 and the guys in the, I was playing with in the band at that time were all in their 40s. What he was old to me at the time. And maybe even as a 41-year-old, I would have thought 41 was old at the time. But now looking back, Jesus, that's a, that's that's the prime of your life. I know they say for men it's 19. Anyway, that's one thing that jumped out of, at, at the special. And the thing that really got me, he made several references to language talking about husband. I know you're not supposed to call him a husband anymore. It's supposed to be called a significant other father of the child. I was like, look at this. This is 40 years ago. And we were already going down this language fascism, word fascism, you know, thing. And listen, 
I will call anybody whatever they want. It gets exhausting, though. Pronouns and all that stuff. I'm fine with that. I don't hold any resentment for people. But it does seem sometimes it's like it's a power play. Like, I can control you. I can make you use these words even though you don't want to. And it can be exhausting. Like, in the old days, and I'm, this is an old man speaking. In the old days, if you saw a female, you thought it was safe to say she or her when speaking about that person. Today, you don't know that. You have to ask first. And it gets fucking, there's my second F-bomb, fucking exhausting. I figured I might as well keep going now. I started with the F-bomb. But it does get exhausting. And while I respect the control you want to have over me in making me say your words, and I will do it, it gets kind of aggravating. And if, if you watch closely, you can see that coming through in, in Robert Klein in this presentation of when he says, I know you can't say husband. You're not supposed to say husband anymore. And this happened a couple of times in the in in the special. And it seemed like he was he wrote the special and was prepared to say words like husband or father. And, but whatever he was going through at the time, again, remember, this is 40 years ago. And realizing in the middle of delivering this to an audience that it's not politically correct in this time to just say husband, to assume husband or whatever. And you could see he was going with it and he was respecting it. But also he felt it was a little aggravating. And I want to ask him about that because he probably doesn't even remember it. Uh, But for me, it was clear that he he definitely... mm, it was just an extra little dig. Like, I don't need this extra crap. I'm doing my show here. I want to be free to say the words I say. So that's kind of illuminating. And that 40 years ago, we were already starting down this road of cancel culture or uh, word Nazis. Again, I just want to be clear that if you ask me to use certain pronouns for you, I'm going to... I'm going to uh, be compliant and and do as you say uh, and try to be respectful about it. But at some point, please stop. Please stop making me work just so that I can have a conversation with you. Please don't make me work too hard to get to hello. Hello, sir. Hello, ma'am. Hello, trans person. I... Can you say sister? Can you say brother? Can you say mother? Can you say father? Where does it end and how much are you going to end up? In the end up, before I die, by the time I die, I'm assuming saying hello, figuring out how to meet somebody and say hello and make their acquaintance is going to take a manual. Oh, wait, I got to get out the manual and see what my next step is in saying hello to this person. Why does it? Uh, I'm, I don't want to get on a soapbox here, but I thought he and she, whether you're a transgender person or whatever, whatever you want to do with your life, I'm fine with. But 
why does he and she not work? If you're a man who transitions to a woman, shouldn't she work? You're a she, you're a her then. No, you want to be something else? You want to be a they? Well, I'm not a we. Am I a we? I'm a little we boy. I don't know. It just feels like, it feels like control. And nobody loves to be controlled, right? Even if you're not a control freak, which we are discovering I am a bit of a control freak, which I kind of had an inkling on many years ago when I started in the music business. Um, But I did not know how. But so even if you're not... (laughs) Uh, my own psychotherapy. Welcome to, to self-psychotherapy with a very confused old man. Um, even if you're not a control freak, being forced to do things that are against your nature or that you've grown up with your whole life feels like control, feels like work. And when does it, uh, when is it, where does it all end? Where does it all end? That's all I want to know is where does it all end? This is Monday, isn't it? I wonder what I'm going to be like by Friday with all this pent up. I don't know. It's not rage or anger. It's it's just frustration. Uh. (laughs) So that's that. Now, the other um, big takeaway from Robert Klein's special called Child of the 50s and Man of the 80s is how much work he put into it. There was no crowd work. It was a show that had a a very clear introduction, a theme and a meaning to it. Again, child of the 50s, man of the 80s. It was about his life and his progression from the 50s through 1983 when when the... uh, special was produced and how the world had changed and the, and the world that he grew up in and how things had changed just talking about you would never have that kind of situation where you were struggling what to how to address somebody as a father or a mother or a husband or a wife or whatever in the 1950s he was born in 1942 so the world had changed a lot and uh, so, you know, there, there was that, and there was some history to it. But it started with a song that he wrote. I don't want to give the whole thing away. But it starts with a song that he put a lot of time and energy and effort into to write and produce a bit and a song, very well-produced song, in his old high school, in the, or what a set that looked like his old high school, because he did go to his his high school and walk through the halls and stuff um, with a vocal group, an acapella vocal group. That, and so a lot of work went into it. And then he comes out and he does this stand-up for about 45 minutes and then brings out the full band. And the band plays for And he's still doing stand-up while the band is setting up. and still doing some jokes, musical jokes and stuff like that. But it was a start a very well scripted and planned special produced. What you see now is far less work. I'm just going to go, and this is what passes for specials now. I'm just going to go out and do the show that I've been practicing for six months 
in bars and in clubs and sometimes in theaters. I'm just going to go out and do that and record it and call that a special. And oftentimes, and we talked about this last week with Jonathan Flanagan, there's no ending. It's like, oh, that's all the time I have. Thanks. You guys were great. And they leave the stage feeling like that's it. Even when, you know, you go to a concert, the the band knows what song they're going to end on. They're going to end on a song that makes you want to bring back an encore, all that. It's all planned. And there's a big show, Costanza, show business ending. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. That's the show. Good night. But too often in today's comedy specials, it's, oh, I'm out of time. It could be. I haven't even gotten to the real, the real punchline, whether it's a tagline or what, of the bit I'm working on. I just ran out of time. So your hour's up. Thanks for coming. Now, that's not a special. That's a guy who was doing his bar show, his club show, and just, you know, wasn't paying attention to the clock, let pieces go too long. None of that in the old day. <laughs> the curmudgeon old man talking about the good old days. Yeah, these kids, they don't know comedy special. In my day, a comedy special meant you actually scripted the thing out. And... I hate to sound like my grandfather. I hate to be that. But there is something to be said for what, I, what I'm saying here is the idea that if you're going to call it a special, make it a special, put some some thought into it, have a theme, have an idea that makes it special, not just a show that you did in a comedy club the night before, only difference is camera, cameras are rolling. That doesn't make it special. And if it's available everywhere, anytime, wherever, it's not special. What makes it special is Saturday night, show Saturday night. Got to be home to watch it. It's not going to run again for a maybe six months a year, you're not going to get a chance. This is special. I don't know. Uh, Paul P. Uh, oh, good morning, Paul Peters. Uh, specials used to be special. We have to be honest about that. It used to mean something more. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, um, Kat says, I'm special, but it's not the same meaning. No, it is the same meaning because on the bus, they will play Robert Klein and George Cullen and Richard Pryor and Freddie Prince, real, real special. They will play that for you on your special bus. So it is kind of, uh, I'm sorry. Is it wrong? Can we, can we joke about the bus in uh, 2023 or is that politically incorrect? You can't make a joke about the special bus anymore. Am I, am I breaking the law? Am I doing something politically incorrect? Am I to be shamed and out, outcast? And, and uh, Paul, by the way, you should be back on the show sometime. Uh, I miss having you on the show, and you should be back on the show uh, at your earliest convenience. Um, so that's all. That's all I want to say about the Robert Klein thing. Because I, I do, uh, I want to talk to him so bad I can taste it. I mean, really, really, uh, not to disparage any of my past guests because I love them all. And I said that, you know, I this is a privilege for me. Most people, if they get to meet comedians for like a meet and greet behind the thing, it's usually you get tops two minutes of their time 
and dismissed and never get to talk to him again. I have a, a real honor and privilege of getting to talk to some of my heroes musically, comedically, for an hour or more. And sometimes they come back. They enjoy the, or they, it was painless enough for them that they decided to come back. So that's a privilege for me. And I don't take that lightly. Robert Klein is probably, and again, not the most significant guest I will ever have, or to, at least to date. And I see, you know how much I am a fan of Doug Stanhope. You know, I could go down the list. Erica Rhodes, all the people that I am, uh, Mark Farner and Kenny Arno. I mean, Jesus. Or if I start going down the list of the the most impressive and uh, starstruck, starstruck impressions from the guests I've had, there's a, a lot of them. But uh, for me, and because of the time and place I grew up in, and because he changed the way I approach songwriting in a big way. Robert Klein is my great white whale. <laughs> Large she blows. Um, I say that now. I'll talk a little bit about that because in the special uh, Child of the 50s, Man of the 80s, he I believe that's where he premiered the song. The Bronx is beautiful this time of year. And it's meant to be a little bit silly. But to me, Holy crap, is it a beautiful song. And people laugh. If you if you watch the special, when he first time he gets to the line, but the Bronx is beautiful this time of year, which is the hook of the song, the audience laughs. And then I, while I understand the joke, I get the joke, because people don't think of the Bronx as a beautiful place. Still, the part of me is saying, what are they laughing at? The Bronx is fucking beautiful sometimes especially 1983 was still Fort Apache and there were bad parts of the Bronx but I guarantee if you were in the Bronx on a June day in the summer and it was a perfect day in certain areas of the Bronx there was a majesty to it and I'm not just talking about the Bronx which is a beautiful place in itself but areas around the Bronx that were just plain gorgeous and that time of year to me it was one of the most beautiful songs ever written pieces of poetry lyrically heartfelt for a guy who grew up in Bronx talking about traveling being on the road as a working comedian you know traveling and performing in those days a lot colleges and things like that and getting to see Every city in America, every cities around the world. But the Bronx is beautiful this time of year. Like a raw, heartfelt sentiment that to me was really true. And here's the audience laughing at it because in a way, it, and I get that it is a joke. But it, in a way, it's not a joke. In a way, it is so fucking, is that four? Four F-bombs. Profound and heartfelt that it meant something to me. And I remember going back to, we had a band rehearsal the next night. And I said, I want to change everything about the way I write songs. Because without that real heartfelt emotion at it, it's just trying to write a pop song for money. 
without really digging into an emotional place with an honest emotional place within your own heart something that makes you say notice something true beauty true ugliness whatever it is whatever you're trying to express the authenticity of it has to be there and that moment of the bronx is beautiful this time of year nailed that home for me like i've been writing all wrong i've been writing as somebody who's trying to craft a song for a specific audience. And that moment said to me, you need to write songs that speak to your heart, speak to the truth and express yourself in a way that is honest and not holding anything back. And so that moment really was a life changer for me. And I know that sounds like a, you know, overstatement and sentimental memory and all that kind of stuff, but it's absolutely true. And this is, uh, now maybe you understand uh, the reason I'm telling you all this. Now maybe you understand the reason that uh, Robert Klein is such an important guest for me to have and somebody I really, really, I'm excited to be talking to. Uh, enough of that. Today, let me uh, just say, I, you know, in the beginning of the program, that damn good coffee and hot. And I have talked many times about the mistake of letting my wife make the coffee. Uh, and it, when she does, it's not damn good coffee, nor is it hot. And it's very depressing. And my day starts off weak. And my, uh, it's tough to get through the day without my addiction. Damn good coffee and hot. Well, yesterday we ran out of coffee. Ran out of coffee. I put in an emergency or ordered a cold coffee, but that won't be here until tomorrow. So what am I gonna do? I get coffee with the dog. I can't have you can't have a dog without coffee. Then it's just a dog. Nobody wants just a dog. I'll get coffee. I run out late last night to get coffee. And it's chock full of nuts. <laughs> Regular canned coffee. So I, this morning I get up and I, I got this traditional scooper. But here's the thing. I'm always complaining about something, right? This is my complaint here. Uh, Chock full of nuts. And chock full of nuts, if you're listening, why don't you be a sponsor? Um, the can has this rim around it that doesn't let all the ground get out for some reason. And uh, I'm not a scooper guy. Take the can, pour it in. But apparently the rim didn't let enough coffee get it. Whatever it is, the coffee is damn. Or maybe it's just that I'm used to Koa coffee now. It's not damn good coffee and hot. It's lukewarm coffee and weak, which surprisingly, I went for an hour already. Well, I had that little technical glitch in the, in the middle of it that gave me a minute off. So we could say 59 minutes now I've been talking without the power, without the robust strength and the super um, on steroids feel of damn good coffee and hot. So this is my um, this is my conundrum now. I'm 
I'm going up. I'm going to get a fresh cup of coffee. And I will be right back. Remember, chock full of nuts did not do it. But one company always delivers. This episode is brought to you by Koa Coffee. If you are a coffee connoisseur and want to experience the best coffee Hawaii has to offer, no blends, no compromise, try the true taste of aloha. Koa Coffee produces premium Hawaiian coffee, hand-picked, expertly roasted, and delivered from Hawaii to your door with aloha. From award-winning 100% Kona coffee grown on the slopes of the Mauna Loa volcano to the unique mocha beans of Maui, they strive to provide their loyal customers with the best quality and freshness. Since 1997, Koa Coffee has been known far and wide as a product of utmost quality and their awards proven. Koa Coffee was featured in Forbes' Top 10 Coffees of the World. This is the coffee Forbes called the best coffee in America. Find out what it's all about. Go to minddogtv.com slash coffee. Just in the nick of time. How about headphones? That would help. Oh, yeah. We're going to try this to see if it's damn good coffee and hot. Now, this is a different pot. It's still chocolate and nuts. It's not koa. Tomorrow, the koa will be here, and life will be good again. A little better. Not koa. Get yourself some koa coffee. Don't be like me. Don't allow yourself to run out of uh, koa coffee. Anyway, uh, time to, no, not time to uh, bat, not time to shit. Can I say shit? It's, uh, I don't know. What, have the rules changed? Can you say that on the air? Anyway, um, I'm over my limit of, of F-bombs today. Just want to say um, the latest issues, of, uh, issues with Andy, in my opinion, and I have not been keeping up for the last month or so. I, I uh, completely admit that. But in my opinion, this was the most recent one on Friday was the best one ever. Now, uh, maybe. <laughs> I, I just feel like Andy brought new energy, new excitement, because I think the Matthew McConaughey thing, is really something that resonates with him. The, you know, the I think he's general, genuinely amused by uh, McConaughey's uh, personality just to begin with, but then the grift and the cultiness of the presentation and uh, mocking that uh, was... I, I felt like Andy was in his element, and I feel like... If he could channel that energy back into doing stand-up, the world would have a, uh, we'd have something to be grateful about. Because I really feel like, you know, uh, we miss, I know he's done one show with with um, Billy Wayne recently. But we miss, dumb it down for the mess, we miss Andy Andrews, the performer. I thought that that show kind of, 
and not that any of the in, uh, issues with Andy have not been hysterical, but for for me, I was like, he's back, he's back, he's back, and he's healthy, and he's uh, he's got something that he really feels a connection to talk about, like something that motivates him to to uh, want to be funny again, want to be um, into it. And so for me, if you haven't caught it yet, I don't want to spoil it too much, but uh, issues with Andy that came out on Friday, good stuff. Now I will say on the McConaughey stuff, uh, I've never, ever been a fan of, people selling you a roadmap to a happy life and or even if it's come on a road trip with a you know join our call come to our seminar come to our workshop uh and you can the, the clearest sign of grift or salesmanship which i hate and i think you're all in tune to this most people are when somebody starts, it's called price conditioning. The value, the perceived value of what you're going to get, $97 million. If you lumped all, if you sold all this stuff retail, it would be $240 billion. Of course, I'm exaggerating. But the final price, if you act today, before the clicker ends and the timer ends, you're going to get the whole thing for just $19.95. That shit stinks. It reeks to high hell of griftsmanship, <laughs> of con artistry, of bullshit. And when, first of all, the moment you see Tony Robbins, Dean Graziano, Marie Florio, whatever that other jerk was, uh, probably new to the scene or new to me. I haven't been following it. Whenever you see those people involved with something, it's grift. It's it's nothing but, um, you know, con artistry. It's selling you crap. Now, what are you going to get if you go on the road trip with these people? Well, first of all, you're going to get a lot of judgment. If you want judgment, Come here. I will judge you all day long, and I will tell you everything that I think, and you, I will do it for free. Anybody who needs, I'm putting this out there, because this is the major um, get that you get for your dollars when you buy into the McConaughey cult program. It's judgment. We're going to tell you what's wrong with you. I'll do that for, for nothing. I mean, call me up. Call me up. I will berate you. I will tell you you're stupid. I will tell you, um, you know, you're following the wrong path. You're doing things the wrong way. Because look at me. I know. Um, but so that's the number one thing you're going to get. Second thing you're going to get is um, how I did, how I am successful. The First is the judgment against you, everything that's wrong with you. Now, here's everything that's perfect about me. This is how I became Richard Fair. And this is why I'm excellent. And a lot of, uh, look at me, I am great. Tony Robbins, pump me up. I got rich uh, and successful. You know how I, but 
they never say this, but yeah, it's true. They did get rich and successful, all of them, but they got it that way through mostly lying, cheating, con artistry. They don't want to tell you that, but they are also pitching a higher road that they didn't truly take themselves. You know, all of the fake it till you make it stuff, which is a lot of what Tony Robbins' um, methodology or platform is built on, the fake it till you make That's a lie. It's, it's being dishonest to yourself and I don't want to. I don't want to make this personal about some people who are, are doing this. It comes back to what I've been saying: the affirmations and all that stuff. Just tell yourself that you're on the right path. If you just keep at it, don't quit. Just keep doing it. They never tell you. Take assessment of strategies and and performance data and metrics and analytics. In other words. Let's just say you're in stand-up comedy and you got these affirmations and you're getting open mic time and you're getting celebrated by your fellow open mic. Yeah, you do great. You do great. And, oh, you won a contest and you hold up a, a trophy for that contest that somebody had to win that night and they give it out to a new guy every week, a new guy or gal every week. But you're holding it up and saying, see, I'm on the right path. All I got to do is keep doing what I'm doing. But you've been doing that for quite some time. And you're sure that that is an indication that you're on the right path. But you never do any real deep dive analytics, personal analytics. Has my bank account improved? Has my relationship with my family and friends, has that improved? Is life getting better? Do I, can I, am I paying my own fucking rent? Is that five? I'm, I got to hook up the F-bomb counter again. All those kind of things. Never take real measure of your life. Just keep going by the affirmations. Oh, look, people said I did great last night. You did great. Did you get paid? Well, that doesn't matter. I'm just going to keep at it because I'm doing the right thing now. I'm, I'm following the path. The most important revelation for me came right after my 30th birthday. Because up until that time, I had it in my mind that if I just worked hard enough, rich monetary rewards beyond that most, what most people aspire to would come my way through the arts. And a lot of it was making it and how I define making it. Define making it by being rich and famous. And that was going to happen. And then somewhere around my 30th birthday, I actually had to do a hard examination of my path and strategies and realize that from the time I started really down that path seriously at, say, 21 to 30, my finances hadn't improved dramatically at all. Yes, I was, I owned a home at that time, but wasn't a great home. 
it was so, soon lost due to a flood without uh, flood insurance in an area that was real. But my, for the most part, life had not improved enough in nine years to justify me keeping up with the time. And why? And you have to do a a gut check. And sometimes that gut check, in my case, it came down to this. There are people who are born and meant, and then maybe it's not destiny, that's not what I'm talking about, but people who, first of all, have the talent, the born with a talent that you don't have. Wait a minute, uh, I'm untalented? That hurts. Yeah, but it's true. You were born with a talent, and Simon Cowell used to say this, cruise ship talent. You were born you know, local club talent. This is the talent you can uh, strive to. This is where you're going to, this is where you fit in in, in the entertainment food chain. You are the wedding guy. Sorry. I know that's not what you want. You want to be the Bruce Springsteen or you want to be the Rolling Stones or you want to be Led Zeppelin or you want to, you want the big stage. That's not you. You got to go to the mirror and say, hey, guess what? There's no place for a bald 30-year-old with no talent on the big stage. Doesn't mean you can't make a, a good living doing what you love to do on your level. But at some place, sometime in life, you have to make an honest assessment of your abilities, talent, drive, business savvy, politician, political skills, because all of those networking skills, people skills, all of that plays into how far your craft can take you. And yes, to some extent, if you buy into that, I'm not a big stage person, you are limiting yourself in your belief and therefore creating, to some extent, that destiny. But if you lie to yourself and tell yourself you're a big stage person, you're going to miss even the middle stage where you belong or the lower stage where you belong. You're going to miss out on all that because you're trying too hard to be something you can never be. Oh, do I have to say goodbye to Gov? No, I still have a half hour. Yeah, I forgot to set my alarm on that. Govs need to be off the air at uh, 1045 every every day here, uh, Eastern time. And I just had a moment of panic. Oh, am I, am I past time? Am I killing one of their shows? I think I would hear about it. I think they'd call me up. So anyway, um, the whole grift behind the Tony Robbins thing is just, it's that. It's they never tell you to stop believing in unrealistic things or stop believing that you are destined or have the ability. It's like, if I take a sporting analogy, you're not a hall of famer, dude. You're never going to be a hall of famer. You want to be a bench player. You want to be a role player. Know your place, know where you fit in, know what you really can contribute. And Seinfeld said this in, uh, uh, thing with Howard Stern, he said, find your tolerable torture. Because it's all fucking torture at the end of it. I'm not even going to keep counting the F-bombs now. Fuck it. We're down F-bomb alley. 
know your acceptable torture. Uh, find your place, because it is, no matter what, if you look at any of the people you think are great superstars, there is an aspect of what they do that they hate. Whether it's keeping the band together, whether it's dealing with the record companies, whether it's dealing with ticket sales or any of that stuff, the biggest stars in the world have a task, a chore, a part of their being that is bullshit, that they don't want to do, that they don't want to put up with. That is fucking torture. <laughs> I'm just now that I freed myself from the f bomb thing, um, and it's just about finding what's your acceptable level of torture in anything. But also knowing that no matter how hard you try, because this is what where the grift is: the Matthew McConaughey's, the Tony Graziano, uh, Tony Robbins, the Dean Grazianos. This is where they all fail to tell you the truth. That not everybody can be a Hall of Famer. They want you to believe because, and they want you to believe because it's self-serving to them. They want you to believe that no matter what, it's just a matter of learning more and uh, readjusting your strategy. And someday you can reach that unreachable thing that you place in your mind. This idea, this dream, and that's when it becomes a dream when it's not reality, and you're just not that good, like me. I was just not that good <laughs> for the big stage. And you had to come to uh, at least an acceptance of that in order to live a life in that field that can provide you some satisfaction, that can provide you with a living, can uh, provide you with the ability to take care of yourself, to be self-sufficient, in life, pay your own rent, get through life, enjoy the craft that makes you happy. But they don't want you to do that because as long as you keep believing, I'm a Hall of Fame guy, I'm a big stage guy, I'm a rock star, and you miss the mark, then you have to go back to them and spend more money on the next course to see what what you do, what's still not clicking. And I promise you, this sounds conspiratorial in a way or makes it I'm painting them as like the ultimate strategical con man. And it sounds like, yeah, maybe it's not. No, believe me, I've worked for people like this. My cult experience, uh, notwithstanding, I understand the mechanisms of telling people you can. You can do it. You can do it. Ah, yeah, missed the mark. Well, you know what? There's obviously some things you missed. We cover that in the next course, which has a uh, retail value. If you add all these things together, the retail value of $2 billion. But you can have it now this time for just twenty nine ninety five. We asked it's a little more expensive than the first course, but it has all the stuff you missed, which is the reason you missed your goal. You got into this to, to, to reach a goal, right? And you fell that short. Well, the next course is going to do it for you. Tony Robbins, and I'm not just to single him out, but this is where I started in 1980 
with the firework stuff. And I taught the firework stuff. I did the firework, and then I taught the firework and believed in it while I was teaching it until I realized that's just the first step. you got to have another course, in there, and you got to keep doing this stuff to people. Keep reeling them in. Recurring customers. <laughs> Pay again. Come on in. Do it all over again. We got another course for you. Just $10 more. Now, I'm making this uh, cheap because it's not just $10 more. You know that. Each course is probably $1,000 more or several thousand dollars more because once they identify the marks, and these are a lot of times people who can't afford to, a, a pot to piss in. One of the uh, people I saw promoting the Matthew McConaughey thing is a comedian I know who can't afford to buy himself lunch any day. He can't, he's living off the charity of people who support his goal to be a superstar. And he's not ready to be a superstar. He doesn't have the tools to be a superstar. He hasn't put in the time to be a superstar. And he's settling for non-payment doing open micers and attaboys. Lots of attaboys. Attaboys don't pay the bills. Attaboys don't make you uh, self-sustainable. But this is a guy who is ready to buy the Matthew McConaughey course for whatever the hell it was selling for $500. Whatever the hell the number was, I don't even know. I didn't stick with it that long. But he's going to borrow money from his friends to take this course because this course is so important. It's going to change his life. It's going to make him who he wants to be. It's going to make him give him the power to reach his dreams and be the man he always wanted to be and live the life he always wanted to live. And then he's going to be $500 in debt or whatever the course costs so that he has to borrow from friends to get him through this course only to find out he's still doing open mics without getting payment. Now, we could talk about how to change the paradigm for our comedians because nobody should ever work for nothing. If you're not good enough to get paid, you really shouldn't be out. And this is a whole, where do you learn the, the skills to, to actually uh, be, be worth getting paid? Well, you have to have a a mechanism to do that. You have to ha there has to be an avenue where you can per per uh, perfect your or work on your craft to get good enough to demand pay. But once you and that's what open mic nights really are about. You know, but at the end of the day, once you decide that this is going to be your living, you have to get to a point where I'm not doing it for free anymore. And I know Here's the biggest part of it. You would never see Paul McCartney, Bruce Springsteen, Jackson Brown. I'm just trying to name my my musical heroes. If you want to come up, uh, Ed Sheeran, <laughs> if you want to come up to today's on, you would never see Taylor Swift going to an open mic night and performing for free. I know in comedy, this is where it gets really tricky. You will see some of the superstars, some of the people who are high demand, doing it 
And to me, that sends a message to the people on the bottom. They say, well, if Mark Norman can go work for free, then what am I worth? You have to know your worth, first of all. You ha- if, if you believe and if you've made a commitment that this is going to be your life, you want me to perform? This is my number. Otherwise, I'll stay home. Because if you allow people to continue to keep taking advantage of you, for, I'm not saying if there's a cause, don't get involved, or if something you believe in and you want to lend your time. But if you allow, allow people just to rape you, don't be surprised when you get raped a lot. Um, and I never understood how it developed that way. It's the only... Not the only... It's the only one that allows it to go on so long. Listen, all the arts have a uh, break-in requirement that you do some slave work of it while you're <laughs> while you're learning your craft. All of them, whether it's music, acting, all of it requires some level of no pride whatsoever, no pride in yourself, no demanding to be paid, but. If you're doing it for years and years on end, you have nobody to blame but yourself. You've accepted this now. You've accepted non-payment. You've accepted... Bob Ross used to say, sell your paintings. Sell your fucking paintings. He never said fucking. I said fucking. Uh, If you keep track at home, that is 7 billion F-bombs now. Um, Sell your paintings. Nothing will help you improve your craft more than knowing that people value it enough to put their hard-earned money down to see, watch you do it or listen to you do it or be part of the experience. People going into their pocket and taking money they worked, you can count the hours. If we you know, break down their hourly rates, how many hours I worked, to be able to pay to see you. That's value. You know you have value, people. Coming back to my experience this weekend with the West Hampton Beach gig, there is no doubt, and I'm not, you know, a person who um, just lives for the dollar, but there is no doubt that that gig was especially rewarding to me because I got paid more than I had contracted for, and I contracted for a good good deal. I got paid more than the good contract I had negotiated. I think there was a mix-up between the club owner and I was subbing for Brother Dave, by the way. And uh, it was Brother Dave's gig, and he, he couldn't do it. He had another gig. He put me on this one, and uh, we discussed what the pay would be, and I negotiated a decent amount. And when I got there, the guy paid me more. Then I actually negotiated for it. It was like, wow, this is a good gig. And then to have a guitar case full of tip money. It's not about the money. It's about, wow, these people appreciated me enough and and saw enough value in my performing for them that they reached into their pocket for their hard-earned money. And listen, West Hampton Beach, maybe their money, it's possible. 
that their money was not that hard earned. Maybe mommy and daddy just gave them their yearly allowance of ten billion dollars. <laughs> West Hampton Beach. It is what it is. But still, they they valued it enough to give away, put their money in my pocket. I was juiced after that. And I'm thinking, well, I, and the fact that they were responding to original music that I wrote, not just cover music, said to me, well, that's, uh, you know, that's rewarding. This is, it says that it validates you, not for the dollar amount, but for the fact they were willing to sacrifice those dollars because they appreciated the art that you brought to them. And that's how you grow. That's how you get better. That was Bob's Ross, Bob Ross's message to me. Sell your paintings and you'll be surprised at how much you are inspired to create better work because now it got into your head that people valued my art. I can do this and I can do it better and I can give them something to really value. Oh, really? You, you paid that much for my art? Well, I'm going to show you what I can really do now. If that's what you, I would, you know, it's, it's that whole mindset change. I'm worth it. My art is worth it. And when that happens, you don't have to reach for the stars. You don't have to be Bruce Bingsley or Paul McCartney. You could be happy being that small stage guy that provides for his family and himself doing what you love. And living off of the tremendous gratitude of knowing that people care enough about the art that you brought them to shell out hard-earned dollars for it. Or even mommy and daddy giving dollars in, in as the case may be. I don't know that for a fact. But uh, I guess that's my soapbox thing for this morning. We are an hour and a half into it. I guess that's a good place to end. I will still be, I'm still booking guests for the rest of this week. I will let you know when Robert Klein's going to be on. Hopefully I'll know that today. I, before I go, I just want to tell people the apps. I don't have uh, the links available because I was lazy last night and just beaten up and didn't want to prepare them for today. I'll have them uh, barcodes, QR codes, uh, ready for it tomorrow morning but the apps for both ios and uh android are now available for mind dog radio i i hope you will first go download my app it costs nothing it's absolutely free doesn't take up a whole lot of space on your phone it's a very lightweight app download the app and leave me a review a positive review say it's the best app that you've ever uh, had and i will it will do a lot to support what I'm doing here. And I hope you uh, will support what I'm doing here. I, I, there's no shame in asking for support. There isn't. Please support me. <laughs> Please support me. I don't mean take me in. I'm not going to move in your house and, and uh, raid your refrigerator. I just mean do something that costs you nothing, maybe takes 20 seconds of your time, and helps the program out a little bit. Go download the app and leave me a positive review. Tell your friends about it. Tomorrow I will have QR codes uh, up everywhere uh, that make it easy to just finally get go directly to the app store of your choice and get My Dog Radio. Look for it. Uh, and things are 
improving and, and continue to improve around here. Uh, that's the show for today. I thank you all for stopping by, giving me your input there. Sorry to Ian once again that he did not get the tickets. Uh, if I were a, a inclined to do something nice for anybody ever again, Ian will come to mind. And I will, uh, if I'm going to do get involved in a ticket giveaway, uh, I believe Ian's in Denver. I will find out when somebody, when Stanhope is in Denver again, and we'll get him tickets for that. That's what I'll do, and not make it a contest. Just say, you know what? Thanks for being a loyal listener, Ian. <laughs> Here's a couple of tickets to see Stanhope in your area. That's that's the way we're going to do it. We're not going to do any contests anymore. And but the only other thing caveat there is, if I give tickets away, you got to go to the shows. There's no excuse I couldn't get a date. Like my brother gave me this weekend. If I give you, if I give away anything, you got to you know, tickets to go see anything. You got to use them. Don't leave empty seats. I haven't spoken to Erica Rhodes since since that, uh, that whole thing, but I know that's something that she gets a little upset about. And so I bought two seats for her show that remained empty. Pat Peeve of hers. I'm on the dark. I'm on her bad side now because my brother is um, afraid to go to a comedy show by himself. Shit, I would have just picked up a homeless guy. Hey, man. <laughs> Want to laugh? Oh, you stink. <laughs> Can you take a shower first and then I'll bring you to a comedy show? That's what I would have done. Anyway, thanks for coming. Have a great rest of your day. Don't forget to turn on your radio, Mind Dog Radio, at the app stores right now. Go get it. See you tomorrow. Bye for now.
me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now.